if we could all read aloud together. And let's let's do it really loud. Right over there on the left, you see the Franconia Ridge. There's probably a lot of people hiking. Let's see if we can uh, get them to hear us so we can share some of the Word of God with them. Today it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Here I am. Oh, there we go. Alright, that was nice and loud. I heard my friends from Maine over here. That was great. Good morning, everyone. My name's Drew. I'm uh, the assistant pastor here at Loon Mountain Ministry, and um, we're going to be looking at God's Word today, but first let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for this time, some of these minutes that you've given to us, and uh, Lord, we just ask that your Spirit would be present, um, present in me as I share uh, these truths that you've brought to, to mind in light of the Scripture, and present in each one here, Lord, uh, as we listen to your word, and uh, Lord, as we ponder it and allow it to, to penetrate not just our minds, Lord, but our hearts. I pray that you would give us your ears, Lord, that we would hear the word and that we would obey it because it changes our hearts, Lord, and for no other reason uh, other than that you change our hearts, Father. So we give this time to you, and, and I ask that uh, that your name would be praised because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, again, welcome. Today is, man, I've said this every time, but today is a gift. Whew. This breeze keeping the bugs off of us, the sun coming down. So many reasons to just praise the Lord this morning. Um, for, for those of you who haven't been to a mountain service yet this season, we're going through a series on the parables of Jesus. And uh, we thought that, you know, seeing as a lot of times we have people that are here maybe once a summer, you know, parables of Jesus are, are pretty well taken one from another. Um, so that would help a lot of people come into our services, but also, you know, they're great. They're filled with great spiritual truths. And parables are just simple stories that Jesus would use to illustrate a spiritual truth. And he would speak to his audience through them so that they could understand it. Um, and by doing so, he used everyday imagery to illustrate his points. Um, you know, I think that when we look at the parables of Jesus as a whole, uh, I think one of the most important things that we can take from them and that they teach us is that God doesn't intend for there to be a separation in our lives from the sacred and the secular. 
And, uh, you know, he doesn't just want us to, to worship him and to, to think about him on Sunday mornings. He wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives. He doesn't even want to be at the top of our list. He wants to fill everything with himself. In Habakkuk 2, uh, verse 14, the prophet says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, you know, he uses the term water and sea almost synonymously. You know, the waters are the same as the sea. They are one and the same. And so the glory of the Lord, God intends for his glory to fill everything in every way. And so the parables are a reminder of that, that every moment of our lives is an opportunity to see God's hand at work and worship him. And the parables as a whole teach us that God desires to saturate our whole lives with himself. And I think that when we are able to, to understand this and look at what's happening in our lives, the parables that you and I live daily, you and I each live parables, things that God is trying to do to teach us things. As we live these parables, um, you know, I think we can stop asking why things happen to us start asking what? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? What are you trying to show me? I know this pain is not without purpose. I know this joy is not without your grace in my life. What are you trying to teach me? And so uh, today we're going to be looking at the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Um, I thought this one was appropriate as just a little bit over a week ago, my wife and I, we bought our first house. And uh, yeah, it's a good thing. And uh, as, as many first-time homebuyers do, we kind of bought a fixer-upper. And so, uh, you know, I was talking to Jim Jamison a couple weeks ago, and he said, hey, I know the guy who, who built your house. And I said, oh, I'd love to talk to him. I have tons of questions for him. <laughs> no, but uh, thankfully the foundation is not, not, one, not part of the house that I have questions about. That's actually quite good. So, um, you know, that's kind of what drew me to this parable. And, uh, you know, each parable has a different context, a cultural context, a context of the day that Jesus told it, what was going on before that, um, you know, and a context in the greater uh, story of God's narrative through Scripture. And uh, I think one of the, the important things to highlight about the context of this parable is that the parable is at the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Here we are on a mountain. I'm giving a sermon, so kind of fitting again. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount is uh, is from Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. And from this sermon comes many of Jesus' most well-known teachings. Um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the Beatitudes, the Golden Rule, teachings about loving others, not judging others, worry, and several others. And so this is kind of this is kind of the conclusion of, of all these teachings, and he, he gives this parable. So I'm going to read it again for us. Jesus says, "Therefore, everyone who hears the, these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall." because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that, that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, crowds were amazed at his teachings, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So many of Jesus' parables have, have subsurface meanings. Uh, he would often tell a parable to a crowd without disclosing the meaning at all until later when he was only in the presence of his most, uh, his closest followers. For example, the parable of the sower and the seeds, that's one that we're going to get into later in the summer. When he originally told that, to, to, the, to the average passerby, it might have just sounded like a story about a farmer. But Jesus had a deeper meaning, which he revealed later. Now, why would he do this? Why would he disclose the meanings from some people and not others? Now, I believe, and, and many scholars believe, that he did this so that those who truly desire to know his teachings would seek him out for the meaning of the parables. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says to the Israelites, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I think Jesus... Uh, also had this same heart as he spoke in parables. Now, contrary to the parable of the, of the sower, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders is not one of hidden meanings. Jesus clearly lays out his point as he's telling the parables. And as we just read, there are two builders. There's a wise builder who builds his house on the rock, and that is representative of those who hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice. And when the storms co storm comes, the rains come, and the floodwaters rise, the house stands firm. And then there's a foolish builder uh, who builds his house on sandy ground. In verse 26, we see that the, this represents those who hear the words of Jesus, but don't put them into practice. And when the storms of life come, their house is destroyed. And so... The, the spiritual principle that this uh, parable gives us is, is coming from a place of wisdom. It's saying, don't just listen, obey. I thought it was very fitting that Chris referenced uh, this verse, um, and we see that throughout Scripture, but in James 1, 22, as she read, and I'll read on to, through verse 25, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to read that passage or this parable and to just kind of like want to give myself a pep talk you know my wife and i the first few uh the first few years of our marriage we would hike together and i'm i'm one that talks to myself i played college basketball i i, I enjoy hiking I'm, I'm one who talks to myself rather uh not kindly to try and motivate myself like you can do this just toughen up and uh, when we first got married and we started hiking together I found out quickly that my wife didn't really appreciate that kind of talk. So um, I stopped leading the hikes, and I always let her go ahead, and things have changed, don't worry. But uh, yeah, I have a tendency, I don't know about you, to to want to read this and say, all right, if I believe what God is saying, I'm going to do right. 
So I give myself a talk, a pep talk. Man, I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to be more disciplined. Lord, I really promise to obey you this time. But as I've grown as a husband, but also as a follower of Jesus, I, I'm coming to realize that obedience isn't simply a matter of do or don't do. Obedience is a matter of belief and worship. Here's what I mean. Uh, worship, I like to say that worship is, we're worshiping, whatever holds our greatest affection is what we are worshiping. And whatever holds our greatest affection always has the greatest effect on us. And so our thoughts, our actions, and our emotions are all intimately tied to the things that we worship the most. Now, here at Loon Mountain Ministry, we not only do summer services, we also do winter services on the other side of the summit for skiers and snowboarders. Who are skiers and snowboarders here? All right, we love it. We have oh, several of our uh, winter mountaintop regulars here today. That's awesome. We love snow. As skier and skiers and snowboarders, the condition of the snow is directly tied to our mood when we get to the top of the lift, right? On a powder day, it's amazing how many high fives are given, how many whoop whoop here as you're going up the lift under you. And we love ski resorts because it's one of the only places in the world where a billionaire and a ski bum are fist bumping and giving high fives, right? There, I had another uh, an example of this. I, I was I was writing my sermon yesterday and I was flipping through my phone on Instagram. I'm a, I'm a fisherman, I like to fly fish, and so I follow this company called Sims Fishing. And uh, on the on my feed, it said, "What does uh, the name of this like pro guide for uh, Sims?" He said, "What does he do after a full day, six miles of hiking, guiding a trip on the river? He goes out with his family and he spends more time on the water." And it said something to the effect of, "When your love for water and fishing is so, you know, intense as this guy." It affects every part of your life. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's the point that I'm trying to make with our love for God. Like when we truly love him, we're just naturally gonna want to obey him. And so what we love has intimate ties to how we feel, what we do, and what we think. Again, whatever holds our greatest affection has the great will have the greatest effect on us. And when God holds our greatest affection, he will have the greatest effect on us. In the same way, we act the most like what we believe in the most. Or in other words, we do what we believe. If our faith is in the love of God in Jesus, we will obey his commands. It's not a matter of, I need to be more disciplined. I need to try harder. That's just relying more on self. And if we try really, really hard to, to obey God so that he will love us because we believe in our goodness and our promises, we will fail. That's how we got to this place in the first place. So we realized that we couldn't do it on our own. And so you can't have the cart before the horse. You can't try and obey God on your own strength and then that will somehow make you love him or somehow make you pleasing in his sight. I had a professor in college who would often say, it's faith alone that saves us, but the faith that saves is never alone. Genuine faith produces genuine fruit. But many people, especially those in churches, 
have done a really good job of convincing themselves and others of a faith that is not genuine by working really hard to look good on their own. I've been guilty of this, certainly. You know, I, I, so I'm not a huge fan, I don't know about you guys, I'm not a huge fan of artificial plants or artificial fruit. I've never, I've never seen somebody come up to a, a plant and they, they realize it's artificial and, they, and they're like excited about it. It's always like, uh, uh, it's fake, you know? I think God probably feels the same way about artificial fruit in our lives, you know? He wants to see genuine heart change, which leads to obedience that's rooted in love. And so, looking at this parable, the natural question is, what is our foundation built on? And so, uh, Scripture gives a lot of wisdom as to what our life should be built around. Um, and I want to I reference Proverbs 9.10. This is the book of wisdom. And uh, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. A friend of mine who's uh, not yet a believer, I uh, was having a conversa- conversation with him um, a month or two ago, and he, and he said, You know, I don't get too tied down to Jesus, but here's what I've come to believe. I know there is a God, and I know that I am not Him. And I said, you know, thanks for your honesty. Like, God wants your honesty. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that's a great starting place. And belief in God is the foundation for all wisdom. Belief in God and and a respect for who He is and what He's done. If your foundation is not rooted on God the rock, there's no certainty in anything. I was having another conversation with a different friend about being a father, and uh, he said, you know, I promise my kids that I will always be there for them. And he went on, and we talked, and I was thinking um, throughout the conversation, and a little later I followed up, and and I said, you know, I want to do everything I can, everything in my power to take care of my kids and to be there for them. But the reality is, is that there may be a day when God takes me away from this earth sooner than I had planned. And if I ultimately point my daughters to myself, my presence in their life, or my competency as their father, if if the day comes where I leave them prematurely, I will have failed them. And there's only one perfect father. There's only one who will never leave them or forsake them. He's the only foundation that cannot be shaken. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the only thing that cannot be taken away from us. And it transcends even death. So why would we build our lives on anything else? But as we know, we still do. We still do. The reality is that you and I and everyone here have a tendency to foolishly build our lives on something other than God. We've all been the foolish builder at one time or another. Even in that reality, there's still good news for you and me. Although we've acted as fool as acted foolish and built our lives on and around things other than God, there's one who became wisdom for us, first Corinthians says. Jesus left his perfect home in heaven, which lacked nothing to build for us a true and better foundation, 
a life of perfect wisdom and obedience to God the Father. He did that for you and me. At the cross, he exchanged his wisdom for our foolishness. He nailed it to the cross, condemning our foolish disobedience to the grave. And on the third day, he rose victorious, free from the weight of our guilt and shame. He paid the price on our behalf and conquered sin and death for us so that we could have a new life and a new foundation. A life in relationship with God, which is built on the firm foundation of who Jesus is and what he has done. And it's empowered by the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Is that good news? Amen. This new life and foundation is freely given to anyone who would call on the name of Jesus. And believe that he alone, through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection, has the power to save. Now, I'm certain that there are some here who have never surrendered their lives to Jesus and called on him in this way. So I would ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that the maker of, of these mountains, the maker of the whole universe, loved you enough to give his most prized possession in exchange for your life? If the answer is at any point yes, then I would encourage you to receive the gift of salvation in Christ in a relationship with God. 1 John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If your faith is in Christ, I pray that today your heart was stirred with affection for him. And you were reminded of God's love for you as we rehearsed the truths of the gospel. That you were reminded that your foundation is on one that cannot be shaken. And to, to love him means to obey him. You can't have the, the horse before the cart before the horse. We all need to be reminded of the good news every day. And I hope you never tire of it, because I know I need it each and every day. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, that you loved us apart from anything we had ever done for you or against you. You simply loved us because we are your children. Lord, and you sent your son, Jesus, to come to earth to live the perfect life that we could not. To walk the road that we could not. To bear the burden that we never could. By dying on the cross, Lord. So that we could be brought back into your family. Given a, an unshakable foundation a relationship with you, Lord, that starts today. Lord, I pray that this good news would penetrate our hearts, Lord, and it would increase our faith. Lord, may we be stirred with affection for your love for us. And because of that, Lord, may it have a great effect on us for your glory and for our good. We love you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand.